Welcome to the Sportizzle podcast, brought to you by Sportizzle.com, the free-to-register sports social community platform. Today's episode features Sportizzle's very own Formula 1 community manager Molly and a golf community manager Ellie, who happens to be a massive F1 fan. In this F1 episode, we'll be covering the new F1 season, the new drying of the lineups, and how we think the season will pan out. So let's get started. My first question, do you think it's going to be the same as last season and Max is just going to run away with it? It goes so quickly in the first couple of races, I feel like. I mean, there's obviously the break because China's come out, but I feel like the first couple of races like, go by and you've not even blinked and all of a sudden Max has already run away with the championship. <laughs> nah, I think it's, in the past few years, it's been very more leaning towards becoming Red Bull dominant and it's just, he's just ran with it these past two seasons now. Mm. Do you it's think just, the penalty for the wind tunnel stuff is going to make any difference whatsoever? It's difficult to to know how that's going to affect them bringing upgrades later in the season, but I don't think, even if their upgrades aren't great, as long as they don't take a step backwards, I don't think anyone else's upgrades are going to bring them close enough to put a good enough driver in a good enough car to be consistent enough to, to come close. I think he's just, just now a step ahead being the best driver and then clearly the best car. So I think it's going to be another, not boring season, but another lots of Dutch national anthem. <laughs> I know, I feel like I've got that memorised in my head now. I've heard it so many times. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you think Perez can push him at all? I hope he gets up there. I really do, because mm-hmm. I think he deserves it. I just, I don't know what it is. They just seem to have this massive stand-in for Max at the moment, and it's just everything's pushed towards him. Mm. And I don't know if Checo's kind of allowed himself to slip into being too comfortable in that second driver role that Red Bull take it for granted. And I'm sure there's advantages for him, monetary advantages. Red Bull will be on a very lucrative contract with them. And so he's maybe just like, well, being the second driver at the best team is, is good enough. I don't know if I see him put, being out there and talking in the press about wanting like a world championship and... Like, I want to push Max, I want to be better than him. Sometimes he feels a bit like second place is good. Like, someone's got to be second. And if it's got to be him, then so be it. He seemed like he had a bit of fire on his belly last season when they didn't do the, the Max didn't do the switch. So it mm-hmm. seems like he's got that drive there. Yeah. Just whether he can push. But yeah, that, that whole situation last year, I was that was a strange one. Don't think we ever really got to the bottom of what had happened there. And can you see if getting midway through the season and um, Chico hasn't performed as well as Red Bull would like, can you see Daniel stepping in? My hopeful heart says yes. (laughs) I would would love that, but I'm not sure. Yeah, as much as I'd like to see it happen, I think Red Bull have, they have a hold on Checo. They have something there for him and he has a place in that team. I just I I can't see Daniel coming in. Maybe I mean I'm I'm not saying never, but I don't know if there's a draw for Daniel either. Maybe even personally, because he, there would be a conversation about Max being the number one driver, and I don't know if Daniel wants to go back into another second driver role. I don't know. That would, see, you can't read their minds, but I don't know if that would put them off. But then sometimes, it, like you couldn't say no. Like the best team on the grid comes knocking. Who is he going to say no to that? Mm. Isn't that all, all he's got left now, though, Daniel? Second position in most teams. Yeah, I suppose, because, I mean, I was watching Drive Survive when it came out last month and 
there was a bit in it about Hath going to bring him on and he would obviously be number one driver there above whoever they are going to put in that second seat or whatever was happening. But they were talking, they were just outpriced. He was looking for 10 million a year on his contract and they were, they didn't have money for it. So he doesn't want to go to a low, like a low paying contract at a team where he could be first position. But no one's going to have him as a first driver after the last couple of years, which breaks Mm. my heart. Do you think he will end up in something like, so I saw uh, Jensen Button's going to drive a NASCAR. Do you think Daniel's going to then switch over to something else, GT or IndyCar, NASCAR, something like that? I thought when he left McLaren that his next step was going to be IndyCar. Yeah. I thought yeah. that that seemed like the logical way to move forward. I mean, it's, it wouldn't be the first time that we've seen it happen. I mean, Marcus Ericsson's ended up in IndyCar, along with Roman Grosjean. Hmm. It's definitely a sport that a lot of drivers go towards, but... Especially with Daniel's popularity. Like, I think he could have gone anywhere. I think any non-Formula 1 team would have had him, especially popularity stateside. Like, he's just massive, which mm. I think which is another thing that surprised me that he didn't get another Formula 1 seat. Like, at Alpine, I mean, Haas, obviously, they felt outpriced, but I was I was shocked that he never got, um, that he never got another seat. I think after the whole thing with Alpine last season, that seemed like the place that he would end up. I mean, that was just chaotic enough. For sure. And I think had Pierre Gasly not terminated his contract with AlphaTauri a year early, Daniel probably would have went to Alpine. I think Pierre would have stayed at AlphaTauri and that seat would would have went to Dan, but... They don't call it silly season for nothing. It was was a crazy one this year. (laughs) It was nuts. I couldn't keep up. Do you, do you think the bottom line is it was about money? It's just asking too much. Yeah, uh-huh. that's the the um, the vibe that I got from a from a better reading and some some journalists on Twitter that everywhere he wanted to go didn't want him if he was looking for a kind of first driver role, and then all the other teams were just it's not their teams, it's just too much money, hmm. which is understandable because if what was he on it? What did McLaren pay him? He million something for his last year's contract, like. He would be taking half a pay cut, which I mean, for these guys, still ten million pounds a year. But yeah, it's tough. I was I was shocked to see him go though. I just thought mm. my hopefulness was just like maybe right at the last second something will happen. But but I think it's also interesting to get some new drivers back on the grid. Which is a good little segue into the next question of who do you think is going to how the new boys? Who do you think is going to excel? I have got quite high hopes for Logan Sargent. That's exactly who I was going to say. I think, what, did he come 13th? Hmm. Yeah, he done really well. In Bahrain, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think he was just, he, he very much pushed further than I thought he was going to at first. Hmm. I think Nick De Vries has a lot of potential as well. I mean, you seem like what happened in the Williams last season, that was just... Yeah, yeah, that scoring points was it at Monza that he stepped in. Like, that was yeah. insane. But I think him and Oscar Piastri are going to be dragged back by... The, by the car they're in but I think for Sargent because the Williams has been so bad the last couple of years if he just does okay and scores like a couple of points all season like that will be win the championship and having Alex as a reference point I think will be good whereas obviously Piastri's got Lando Norris who is one of the best drivers on the grid like that's going to be I think there's going to be a bit of a, a gap there which is going to be tough for, for Piastri to keep up with so you've got, you've got Red Bull, which is kind of the pinnacle of formula at the moment. You've obviously got a gaggle of, of kind of Ferrari, Mercedes just behind. Do you think all the cars are kind of constantly up in terms of performance to get all getting closer? 
Or do you think it's stretching out in terms of the, the difference between the cars? I think it's stretching out a bit more now. Like you're seeing sort of Aston Martin and stuff like that. They performed exceptionally well in Bahrain. Yeah, I agree. And especially with like the likes of McLaren, the, the movement they've had, they finished third in the championship above Ferrari only two years ago, two, two or three years ago. And now it looks as if the car is going to, they're going to end up like at the kind of bottom end of the midfield. So the, the midfield, I think, shuffling about and they're kind of, can't really seem to get in any straight order, but I think Red Bull are definitely running away with it and we've still got the kind of Haas and Williams being, being left behind at the end. Doesn't seem like the kind of regulations from last year brought them much closer in towards the pack. But um, mm. it does look like Aston Martin have, have charged right up right next to Ferrari and above Mercedes, so that's interesting. I, I read that was because they've copied Red Bull's car from last year yeah <laughs> which gives Red them Bull. a jump up on most people <laughs> yeah but I mean you can understand why if you're head of technical Aston Martin and Red Bull have just ran away with the championship by tens and tens of points I can see why I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing like I think Mercedes have run with this like no side pod con idea and they've gotten it wrong they got it really wrong last year and were too stubborn and dug their heels in and said we're going again with it this year instead of copying the Ferrari-esque or the Mercedes or the Red Bull-esque. And it's cost them again. And it's another year probably going to go by with no race wins and not close to fighting for the championship. Do you think that's it for Hamilton then? I'm not really sure. I feel like he's one of these drivers that you feel like he can bounce back from anything. He's very resilient in that way, is that like he doesn't let things get to him. He takes a break, gets himself together and comes back fighting for it as if nothing happened. And I think it's important that he keeps that mentality. And it's a case of now he's moving that on with George and he's teaching, well, yeah, almost teaching him what it's like to have to do that. I don't think it's necessarily going to be the end of him. I think he has he has fight left in him. Mm. It's just yeah. Team need to understand what they have to do on their end to help with that. Yeah, I think if there's if there's any driver that's got the mindset or the skill or the talent to do it, it's it is Lewis. I think he's the best Formula One driver ever. But it's it's like that. Like it's two years that's gone past, like last year and probably this year, where it's not going to be it's not going to be his year. So there comes a time where it's just running out of time. He's just not going to have like years left to go at it again and again in the competition. Mm. There's only going to be more new drivers. Like George isn't going to enjoy sitting around and waiting either. So he's going to become impatient. And then when the time comes, want to challenge. If the, if the, if Mercedes put a car up this year, say they bring in some upgrade or next year put a, a championship challenging car, George isn't going to sit back and be like, okay, I'll just let Lewis when he's eighth, and then like, and then I'll go for it the next year. That's that's not going to happen. And George is an excellent driver as well. So. Oh, it's, it's tough, but I think if someone can do it, it'll be him. Yeah, I think George was Mr. Consistent last season, wasn't he? Between what, most races, he's between third and fifth, consistently right the way through. So he's built his platform. He's not going to want to kind of go backwards and certainly not be subservient to Hamilton in, as he comes back. Um, do you think having Frederick Vasseur, do you think he can turn Ferrari around? I think it was an interesting switch that they made. And like you see where they were coming from taking out Mattia Bonotto and 
As much as you're sad to see him go because of how long he has been there for, I don't necessarily think it was his fault either. I think it's definitely like a full team sort of thing and like they have yeah. they have issues within the team that need to be resolved before kicking people out of it. Yeah, and I, I think it's a it's a Ferrari wide culture thing, the whole no blame culture of wearing it together and it's not ever singling anyone out, which Fred's turned around quite fast and made some pretty brutal cuts and swaps at the kind of top level. But I think that cost them last year their inability to say, we got it wrong, this person got it wrong, let's switch. Like, strategy, how many times did we, we cringing, like, watching the races and watching Ferrari just make an absolute disaster? And I get sometimes, like, swaps lead to lack of confidence and then it kind of snowballs and you end up, worse than where you left off but not making the right changes fast enough I think cost them last year Was it also a bit of driver kind of greenness? Yeah perhaps as well I think sometimes I mean Charles I feel is probably the better driver at Ferrari and sometimes he's going to need to be more ruthless and more direct but then it's tough sometimes you're listening to them and they're the Ferrari strategy team are asking him questions and you're just like must be tough to to be doing all the all all the work and all the driving and then have your team not backing you up and not being confident that must then take an up to your confidence and how do I suppose know what I'm doing if they don't know what they're doing back there you've seen how many times last season as well that you heard them constantly saying like different plans and stuff like that and they were changing it five six maybe seven times per race and you're halfway through the alphabet before they've got a clue what they're doing and they're asking their drivers questions rather than asking themselves questions and trying to figure it out behind the scenes more than confronting your drivers with something that isn't their problem. Yeah, are they still the closest challenges to Red Bull though? Yeah, but I think like that, like for, for Charles and Carlos, like it's going to get frustrating being so close. Like last year they had the best car and they threw it away. Not taken away from Max's drive and he drove an absolutely insane season last year. But Charles could have been so much closer. I mean, to, to come this close to not even finishing second in the championship, that must have been killing him towards the end of the season. That'll impact him as well. Let's spur him on. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully I would love to see someone else win the championship. I, I am a Max fan, but I want to see a bit, even a bit of competition, just a bit of some shook up at the top. I think, I think you'll probably find from some of my comments on some of uh, Molly's posts that I'm not the biggest Max fan. <laughs> yeah, no, not many people are, but um, I don't know, I couldn't help it. I started started watching the races and it just I just took a shine to them and then I kind of started following it on social media and then watched Drive to Survive. And I was like, oh, people really don't like this guy. <laughs> and I was like, do, but I just couldn't shake it. Do you think the Drive to Survive was edited in a certain way? Christian Horner came across really poorly in that. You know, Max did Perez at certain points. Do you think it's kind of edited to make them look like almost the bad guys? Yeah, I think Price Survive kind of turns into more like of a... It almost reminds me of like reality TV at yeah. times. It's very... So it almost feels scripted. Yeah, there was actually a really funny bit. I don't know if it was this season or last season where when the producers or directors or whatnot was talking to Toto Growth. And um, if you say we're back in another season of our documentary and Toto says, you're not making a documentary. (laughs) (laughs) It's much more, it's much more, yeah, like the kind of reality TV spin. And obviously there needs to be like a villain and a hero and all that kind of stuff. And I do think sometimes Max does get a bit of a hard time. I think the whole 2021 situation the last race of the year didn't help that either. And he's not 
always very eloquent in explaining himself, I think. So I think sometimes he then kind of spurs it on and gets himself into trouble. But also, you can't like everyone. There's going to be people who feel some type of way about everyone. Um, so in the Canada, the next one is Saudi. Yeah. So how do we think that is going to go? So obviously Red Bulls out in front. Is it a nighttime race again? Yeah, as far as I'm aware, it will be. Because um, of the heat probably, isn't it? Yeah, it'd just be too hot. I think Ferrari feel that they'll be closer into the chase, kind of move away from the Mercedes Aston Martin up into that second place. I think they feel a wee bit better about, hopefully because of the night race, the cooler temperatures like stop the tyre degradation and get them out on a wee bit of a longer stint. It's tough. Like qualifying's big going round here. I imagine another front row lockout by the Red Bulls. Don't I don't see anybody challenging their one map pace. It's just it's just too quick. <laughs> yeah, they were they were very good their last season. They were very dominant. I mean, Checo got pole. I think it was last year that Max had his accident coming around the last corner. Mm. It's a very tight circuit incredibly tight I mean like it's scary to watch at times you're like they're so they're so close yeah it's it's like Monaco on steroids absolutely (laughs) it takes one wrong move and that's it well that's what did Checo take three of the street race wins last year Saudi and Monaco and somewhere else maybe so he sees himself as a bit master of these tracks so it'd be interesting to see to see how that goes but I think like like in Monaco the qualifying is so important that most of the action will be on Saturday rather than Sunday. Yeah. Or pit stop strategy. Yeah, which will maybe throw Ferrari's hopes against the walls. <laughs> I'm hoping McLaren have got a bit more luck this week as well. Maybe their pit crew get slightly a bit more of a break. I know. God love them. They were out the last week. <laughs> Lots of practice at least. Yeah, I think that's what Lando said after after the Grand Prix. Yeah. McLaren's got a lot of good pit stop practice. I think he was in six times. <laughs> Yeah, something ridiculous. Mad to watch it. And then a, a double retirement for them. Not not the start of the season I'm sure they were hoping for. Absolutely not. I'm sure it almost treat it as like a, another testing round, don't they? When they, yeah. they know they're going to be at the back of the pack. Six um, tyre changes and, and tweaks. Um, and then they could just test things out and get a bit more track time. I watched an interview with Lando just after the race. And he seemed awful confident. He seemed to feel like the car was not that bad. And I mean, it's difficult because he obviously had the error and he kept having to come in. But I, I don't know if they know something that we don't. But I feel like it's going to be a long season of running around at the back. So this season we've we've lost some um, tracks. I think French, obviously mm-hmm. Russian, um, yep. a couple of others. Um, but there seems to be a few more American ones and others filling in in terms of the tracks and stuff how do you feel that's panning out and is it going quite american focused yeah so we only we had miami only this year and now so that was two races in america last year and then now we'll have vegas again this year obviously and it's difficult you've got to balance up bringing in new viewers and races in vegas and miami are going to do that but like losing france the uncertainty of spa coming back the uncertainty of Monaco coming back, that all felt I mean, I don't I don't know how the negotiations were going, but I was in my head I was like, surely not. These are iconic tracks where we get mm. amazing racing. It would have been sad to see any of them go. I think luckily they all all signed quite lengthy contracts to, to keep us coming back for a while. But the Miami race last year wasn't wasn't all that exciting. And the Vegas track doesn't look as if it's gonna provide much on track action, but it's like everything the, the whole weekend performance is, is what brings you it's not all just 
the, the two hours on the Sunday. So see both sides of it. Mm. I think it's going to be interesting as well with um, Las Vegas being put in on the Saturday night this time. It's going to be a lot different and it's, it's hard to explain it. Like You don't really know what's going to come with it either. It's going to be kind of, you don't know whether the track's going to be any good. It, it doesn't look exciting. It looks mm. very... <laughs> It's almost just like and the name needs to be there. Like, hmm. yeah, there is talks of a new race being put in in London. Mm, so I saw that, that just this week. Although it's yeah. in a, quite an unusual place in London. It's not. It's not right in right in the centre. I think it's like East London, like kind of by Canadian Wharf, which is kind of unusual place to have it. But I don't think we need another street track. I think we've. I think we've got enough. I think the ones that we've got just now are good, but they're awful boring. On a Sunday afternoon, watching like six <laughs> overtakes happen all all afternoon for like three hours. So they did do the the e racing one in London, didn't mm-hmm. they? And I think it's in a similar position. And they use Docklands because they've got lots of roads that aren't used at the weekend because obviously the the city's shut down for the weekend, so they mm-hmm. can close the roads. So it'll all be weaving in and out, almost follow the route of the um, the London Marathon type thing. Mm-hmm. I also think it's awful close to Silverstone geographically. I, I don't mm. know if there's a need for, for two races in England. I would love one in Scotland. That would be great. <laughs> Red Bull, um, Red Bull had done a... Red Bull what, brought one of the cars out and took it around to Highlands maybe last year, the year before. And uh, that would be great. I would love one of those. <laughs> I'm not holding hope. <laughs> I'm not sure. And it's it's things like we see kind of these kind of ideas pop up like South Africa bringing that back on that seemed as if it was going great until literally the last second so try and not get our hopes up for for new tracks and stuff you see on Twitter because <laughs> so little of it comes to comes to fruition so every every year we hear when it comes to Silverstone time June July um, we hear rumors that that you know the track's not going to get contracted for I think it's got another two years left, but then it's not going to get contracted again after that. And people start talking about going back to brands or other circuits around the UK. Do you think it needs to to move from Silverstone or do you think Silverstone is now that iconic track that everybody likes? I think it would be sad to see Silverstone go. It is very much an iconic track for British motorsport. It's been there for so long and it keeps people coming back every year. It excites people. It brings a sense of home. For a lot of the drivers, even like non-British drivers, say things like, oh, Silverstone's like, it's that track. Everybody wants to go to it. I think even like geographically where it's located, where so many of the teams are based as well, it feels like the motorsport capital of, of Europe. I feel like it's like the same thing about Spa when they were saying Spa was coming off the contract for this year. I was always a bit like, okay, it's some like sensational news on social media, but realistically like someone will step in and and hopefully make sure the negotiations go all right and it stays on the track they're just too iconic I think especially in this kind of trying to balance the new races and you need to keep there needs to be some sort of continuity it's obviously you're trying to attract new fans but there's still fans that have been watching for 40 50 years Mm. I'm sure Frank Williams ashes are scared to Silverstone I'm sure uh, that was in one of the Drive to Survive episodes a couple of years ago. <laughs> Do you think a lot of the, the UK tracks, none of them are fast enough or long enough for F1? Even brands, it used to have F1 at one point. I don't think it's suitable for F1 because they're so quick, the cars now, that's so mm. and the track isn't huge. wide enough. and Yeah. Yeah. The new cars are 
massive. I saw a wee illustration on, on Twitter, I think, a couple of days ago of one of these, one of this year's cars, even compared to 10 years ago, and their like length and, and breadth are massive in comparison, which again, like the street tracks makes them, makes it even more difficult to overtake. I'm like last year before Monaco, most of the drivers were saying it's impossible, there'll be no overtakes. And I think we end up getting like maybe five or six. Yeah, I think that's another thing. They're just the cars are getting faster and bigger and less noisy, actually, which is a shame sometimes. Do you think there needs to be more restriction on the cars themselves to try and make them like some of the other series more the same? So it's then more about the drivers as opposed to the cars. I think seeing so many changes and stuff like that and seeing how much these teams can adapt the cars into making them what they want them to be rather than making it fair racing. It just seems now like it's more of a show than it is a race. It's not about ability, it's about look of the car and how like how different people can make them look, but they still do the same. But then you look at the Red Bull to the Mercedes and how different they look, but now how different they perform because of that. I think it would be interesting if it was a bit fairer in how things worked and it was more about driver ability. Yeah, it's like I do see both sides of it because having such variation in the cars provides a whole different competition in terms of technical teams and all the work that goes in all year for years in advance of building these cars and so that's like a different competition in itself never mind them putting the right driver in and the, the competition of being the best driver and I'm sure W Series I'm sure they all use the same the exact mm. same car I'm sure they all drive the exact same car and we still see Jamie Chadwick literally running me off it like what has she got three W Series titles it's tough because it doesn't always necessarily make for perfect racing and, but mm. then Jamie Chadwick might just be miles clear of her peers and that she was always going to win no matter if there was variations in the car but it would be interesting because I would love to see Alonso, Verstappen, Hamilton, all of the, the kind of top guys going at it in equal, equal machinery, as Nico Rosberg likes to call it. Do, do you think some other drivers from the other series, so do you think the likes of Jamie Chadwick should have been given the opportunity to drive in some of the, the seats, so instead of Sargent or De Vries or... I think the opportunity of having women in motorsport is massive now. You look at how many are coming up and coming through and it's just, it is amazing to see it. And I think that Jamie Chadwick's contract with Williams is really important too. Williams have been a very female inclusive team for a long time now. They had, was it Susie Wolf? She raced free practice one back in 2010 yeah quite recently yeah around about that time and it was just I think even given like the likes of Jamie Chadwick and like an experience like that just put her in a car see what she can do like it's not you don't need to put her straight into the car and hope that she performs like the rest of them just like almost just give her an opportunity yeah I think especially with that Williams seat because I'm not actually sure how how Logan came about that seat I'm not sure if he ties to so Williams, when he was racing in junior formula, if he's got sponsorship connections or I'm not sure, but um, obviously Oscar Piastri at McLaren won F3 and then F2 back to back. So it's difficult to then say, well, like you're not getting this seat because who is more who's more prepared for a Formula 1 seat than the F3 and F2 champion? And then De Vries similarly won F2 and then won F Formula E. So... It's, it's, it would be difficult to then say, oh, Jamie Chadwick has been racing in cars that are Formula 3 level. 
against like other women are is more deserving of this seat than you but I'm not I'm not sure like if if it even came close if she was even considered for that Williams seat or not or if if Sergeant was in it before they before they'd even let Nicholas Latifi know that he was being released. <laughs> it's probably the way it normally works isn't it? Surely um, Lance Stroll could step away couldn't he? He's, he doesn't bring anything else to us to mind apart from just his driving skills. I'm a bit of a Landstrow fan. I think he gets he gets <laughs> he gets he gets messed. It was another controversial one that I'd that I didn't really realise until afterwards that I'd started following him. But um I think the weekend there showed how good a driver he actually is. I'm sure as well he, he won the junior formulas coming up. But it's also tough to break free of the, the fact that his dad owns the team. <laughs> yeah. And he did take quite a lot of stick last season. Some drivers, I think, um, saying some nasty words about him as they <laughs> as he blocked them or whatever. Yeah, um, I think him and Alonso had a couple of run-ins last year, which is funny that they're teammates now. Yeah. So give me your one, two, three for the season, the championship. Oh, that is difficult. I'm going <laughs> to stick with Max. I'm going to stick with Max. And that is purely because I just see him completely running away with it. It's like George Russell said last last weekend as well it was just you just look at how well they perform and it's incredible I want to say that Czech will make it too and that he will come second but that third place is very interchangeable at the moment off off the fence give me a name Lewis Hamilton I'm gonna go with it purely because of how much he can come back from things and we've seen him do it before over and over and over (laughs) again and it's just he's just one of those people okay Ellie yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay Max. Think think he's gonna have a nice comfortable season just charging right at the front. But two, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Charles because I think the Ferrari's good but not great. And but I think he's clearly their best driver. And then third, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Alonso. I think if Aston Martin can can make good use of their wind tunnel time, which they've got an awful lot of. I think they finished seventh in the championship last year, so they've got a lot of got a lot of time in the wind tunnel, a lot of a lot of opportunity to bring upgrades. I think he's good enough and consistent enough that he could um he could sneak into that third place. Okay, I've written those down. I'm going to hold you to those. <laughs> um, what what do you think out of all the races this season? Give me what you think will be the a shock result to start with you, Ellie. Oh, that's a hard one. I think Charles will break his curse in Monaco in win his home race, hopefully. But I um, <laughs> he said he said a couple of disasters and I don't think the bad luck can go on for too much longer. I think um I think he'll take take pole and 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 finish the job out in Monaco finally. Molly? That is a very difficult question. Um I'm trying to think of like some shock things we've had happen in the past and where where they've happened the only thing that jumps out at me instantly is Hungary when Esteban Ocon won Mm. I don't think we're gonna have that situation again that was just some I think we we won't have a maiden win this year not even if it's raining or something like that no I don't think so I think after um Sainz got his win last year and he's got his win with Ferrari I don't I don't think so I don't see George has got his win and I don't I don't see another car car winning unless it's stroll maybe on an off chance that he puts in a good quality and then just has a good race but i don't think so i don't think lando i don't think he's going to eat not even him's going to be able to drag the mclaren into first place i don't think so i don't i don't see it 
I think the only thing that I can think of that's going to maybe come as a shock to some people is I think there will be maybe one of the rookies might end up on a podium at some point I feel like Logan Sargent definitely has that sort of a potential to get there it would probably take a lot of luck maybe quite a few (laughs) DNFs but yeah that's the thing about the main one I just can't imagine Max Checo, Lewis George, Carlos, Charles and Fernando all not winning a race like one of the six of them not not winning like all of them DNFing or having disasters I don't I don't see it I could see someone like Gasly or maybe Bottas if, if the cars hold out and everybody else kind of crashes out or or you know yeah has to start going through the, through the positions from the back mm. I hope Gasly has a better year I think he'd um I think he was a bit unlucky kind of stuck in not the best car last year but I think the year before 2021 he had an excellent season and uh, I think the move to Alpine will be will be good for him to kind of break out of the Red Bull family although I just hope that they can avoid crashing into one another so we hear that they don't <laughs> they don't go on that him and his teammate don't go on very well I don't think there's a much love lost between um, uh, Magnussen or Hulkenberg either is there no <laughs> no that um that infamous video has been resurfacing recently hasn't it but um, I did see an interview, I think, with Magnuson. It was just saying that they've both, both matured a bit. I think they both have kids now, so it's just saying mm. they've both hopefully <laughs> hopefully moved on and they, they can calm it down a little bit. But I think I think Mick was unlucky to lose his seat at Haas last year. I was a bit disappointed in that one. I think they're really ambitious, Haas, aren't they? They've got a lot of money behind them. Yeah. I think they really want to kind of push and do well. And I think he just, he did okay, but he didn't kind of pull any trees up. So I think they, they wanted someone a bit more dynamic. I think had Russia not happened, I think Mr. Russian would have been still there. Yeah, um, still in that seat, yeah. I just think it's like Stroll and like um, Latifi was at Williams, the money's just too important. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but- yeah, I wasn't. I do understand Mick was in his seat back then. I was surprised with putting Hulkenberg in. I thought they would maybe, maybe go for a for a rookie or someone. I don't know. I was, I was, I was very surprised to hear that. But then we were surprised to hear Magnussen was back at the start of last season, and then look at the season he had. Mm. I think it was it was very disappointing when Mick lost his seat. You sort of you seen the potential starting to come through in him, and he was getting better, and the confidence seemed to have kicked in a lot towards like sort of halfway through the season mm. yeah I think had his season been flipped the other way and he'd had the results he had in the, the end of the season at the start he would have probably kept his seat but I think it just came all a bit too little too late team principal silly season was almost as crazy as the driver one this year that went a bit crazy I was um I saw I was was it in the coverage the sky coverage last week maybe they were saying that is it Mike Crack that's Aston Martin he's been there for two and a half years and he's now like the third longest reigning team principal on the grid apart from Toto Wolff and Christian Horner and him at Aston Martin everyone else has been the last two years in and out Gunther's, Gunther's been there quite a while though hasn't he? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So that's another one he's been there since the start with Haas which must be must be five or six years now um, but apart from yeah so sorry apart from those those three it's him at Aston Martin and then the other the other six have been in the last two and a half or three years mm. which I think I mean all the periods of success Ferrari have had specifically have been under team principals that have, have had a real chance to to come in and make their mark and stay which I think Bonotto didn't really have but then it's tough if you're not performing that 
that job especially is probably the most the most demanding in all of Formula One. So you can see why you get replaced, but then sometimes the revolving door just keeps on revolving, and you keep bringing bringing new team principles in and out, and no one really has a has a chance. It's a bit of a poison chalice before you even started. Mm. I think there's a lot of confusion where people were going as well, because you've seen people pulling out and random people coming in. And came from and I think like they just it just kept going and kept going and it was all within the space of about a week and a half two weeks mm, it did go it did go crazy for a while and even in that there's been some restructuring because Andreas Seidel the, the ex-McLaren team principal is a way to the kind of sauber Aldi consortium but as CEO not as team mm. principal but I think he's also going to kind of step in in that same way that Zach Brown is like the team principal but not the team principal at McLaren. Not the face of the so, team. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah, rather than I'm sure the new team principal at McLaren's also called Andreas. Is it Andreas? Yeah, Andrea. Andrea. Andrea Stella. Andrea Stella. But I don't think we've heard from him. Whereas every time I'm watching Sky F1, it's like live to the pit wall with Zach Brown. <laughs> and I feel like he he's much more the face of the team. But it would be interesting to see what the dynamic is like backstage who's like what's going on with the staff and the drivers who they see as the the team principal or CEO it's kind of wearing two different hats I think he said uh, in the drive to survive I think he said he wanted to step away from the kind of the operations bit of the team management didn't he and he didn't mind being the face of it but it was all the other work he couldn't do everything all at once so Mm. so that's kind of solution of, of kind of putting that two layered bit in there do you think James Vowell's leaving Mercedes, do you think he can do good things at Williams? That was probably the appointment I was most surprised by, him going to Williams. So I'm not sure, a bit of, a, bit of an unusual step. It didn't, it didn't even occur to me when the Williams job came up that his name would be, would be in the ring. So it would be interesting to see him kind of step out and try and make something of that team, which I think there's potential there. I mean, they've been, been the best team in the world, but mm. I'm not sure. I think when they announced that he was going to be the team principal, it seemed by that point a logical move because Williams and being part of Mercedes and all of that, and it just seemed to like it fell into place for him because he was already previously at Mercedes. A job opens up like that, you're not going to turn it down. No, I think it's it's interesting the kind of range of team principals we have in terms of Total Wolf is very much puts on the cap of CEO and financial officer at Williams and he's very invested in that side of the business and he treats it like business whereas with Matteo um, at Ferrari who was an engineer for all intents and purposes and just kind of moved his way up the ladder and then James who was a strategist at Mercedes it's it's different and I think because that team principal role isn't there's no checkbox of who you should be your real experience like that you need it's interesting to see the kind of different teams how they how they manage that because I know for Toto he said lots of times it's it's a people management role it's about getting Mm. the best out of everyone else he's like doesn't matter what I'm good at it's about what I can get from the best engineers or the best strategists in the world that's what's important and like that's he doesn't sit on the sit on the pit wall he's not making strategy decisions he's He's not an engineer, whereas Benotto was at Ferrari or James will be at Williams. Benotto and Gunther are releasing a, a TV program <laughs> of both of them travelling around different places in a little, um, I think it's a Fiat 500, isn't it? In your ideal lineup, 
in that scenario, if you wanted to see two people driving around together and having a laugh, having a joke, who would the two people be? It could be a driver, it can be someone from a team principal or... Oh, that's a good one. Um, probably Ricardo, because it's mm. Daniel. Because <laughs> I just think he's got, he's just got the kind of it factor. He's just funny. He's great television. Like, I think he would, he would be good. And then maybe Fred Vasseur. I think he's he's a bit of a character that we've not not seen much of yet, but I think he could be interesting. He could be funny. That's a hard one. Molly, I think if I had to put two people in that situation to go around together, and you would be guaranteed to be laughing by the end of it, I would have to say Max and Daniel. It was just so like they it are was funny. there. It was just yeah. you watch the factor videos, and everything's just pure joy. Hmm. It was those two at Red Bull when I started watching, so um, that's that's nostalgic for me. The um, I was heartbroken when that when when when, um, when Daniel left for Renault, but they are they are funny those two. See, I thought Norris and Daniel would have that kind of relationship, that kind of um, humorous bounce off each other type of thing, and they they always seemed a bit cagey. Yeah, it never really never really took off with the two of those, did it? And I think even after that, it, it kind of. The air had been cleared. It still always felt a bit, a bit awkward and a bit tense. But um, maybe that's coming from me. I'm not a huge Landon Norris fan, so maybe that's a bit. I'm like, don't be mean to him because I love him so much. Don't be, don't be saying bad things about Daniel. But I'm not sure. Even some interviews, it all it felt a bit like there was a, a real divide going on. I'm not sure whatever what happened there because I think you're right. I think the two of them have had potential, but yeah, strange one. I think that Lando's presence within that team over was overriding Daniel at times and hmm. the love that McLaren had for Lando Norris. Just that that same sort of relationship wasn't there with Daniel. And I think that got in the way a bit because it made Lando out to be the golden child almost. As if he was there to win like constantly and he just didn't perform up to that. And you've seen that. And I think the only time you really got to see Daniel getting anything out of McLaren was in Monza yeah and this is that's another thing where I feel like the relationship went was a bit unusual that Lando come out afterwards and said well I was faster like I could have I could have won and I was a bit like okay it's maybe like you've just gone one two when McLaren haven't had a win in 10 years or something I felt like it was a bit misplaced and then I was just a bit like well I think if that was Max or Lewis or Charles even sitting behind their teammate waiting on a maiden win and they, they thought they were fast enough they would have won it felt like he was stabbing himself in the foot a little bit coming out and saying I was fast enough to win and I was like well why why didn't you <laughs> there's no I'm sure there's no team team orders or team rules that would have stopped Max or stopped Lewis from going and going and chasing a win down we didn't in Brazil last year we saw Max getting told to let Checo through and he never. Mm. So I don't know. Maybe that's me being cynical. Maybe Lando's going to win races this year, and <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna be maybe need to eat my words. But I'm not sure. I don't know if he's got the, if he's got that kind of last five percent to turn on that that some of them do. Or the car this year. <laughs> yeah, especially, especially without the car. Thank you for your time, ladies. Really good. Thank you. No, thanks very much. Thanks. Cheers, Bye. guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Sportizzle podcast brought to you by Sportizzle.com, the free-to-register sports social community platform. 
If you like what you've heard, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Also, check out our social media channels and the sportedra.com platform for news of what your favourite communities are up to. And we'll bring you more episodes of the podcast soon. Bye for now.